Hey, before we begin today, I just want to play a quick promo for my friends over at the What If Podcast. You've heard me talk about them before. Ryan and Spencer, they pose a hypothetical question, and then they just go down the rabbit hole, and you'd be surprised where it takes them sometimes. So check out this promo, and go check out their podcast. Hey, it's Spencer. Hey, I'm Ryan from the What If Podcast. We are indeed. And we, every week, talk about all kinds of weird shit, like cryptids and UFOs and aliens. Yeah, we ask a hypothetical question and uh, make jokes about ourselves and all the world of weirdness uh, every week on Tuesdays. Yeah, so if you like some of the stuff that Rob talks about here on Our Strange Skies, you might want to check us out at whatifpodcast.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, all that stuff. Love you, Rob. (laughs) Bye, Rob. Miss you. Bye, Rob. There are areas within the United States where the anomalous converge, coming together to exist in the same locales. Many know of the famed Skinwalker Ranch as a place where portals open into other worlds, and where their inhabitants enter ours. UFOs have been reported on the property, as well as poltergeist-like activity, and various other incarnations of the anomalous. In Massachusetts, the Bridgewater Triangle serves to bridge the gap for various phenomena. Ghostly activity is big in the Hockamock Swamp, as are sightings of Bigfoot and other types of mysterious creatures, like the Puckwudgies. In southwestern Pennsylvania, there is an area where two different types of unique phenomena come together, where Bigfoot can be seen in the vicinity of UFOs, sometimes entering and sometimes exiting. On today's episode, we featured just such a story. It's the story of three young men, the bulletproof Bigfoot, and the UFO in the field. What's up, Euphonauts? Welcome to the Our Strange Skies Podcast. On October 25th, 1973, shortly after 9 p.m., a bright red UFO was seen in the skies near Uniontown, Pennsylvania, just southeast of Pittsburgh. Among the many witnesses that evening was George Kowalczyk, a 21-year-old who worked on the family farm with his parents and nine siblings, and it is he who was the closest witness to the UFO itself. He first witnessed the object as he and his wife were driving from their house to the farm. When he arrived, his family and some visitors to the house watched the UFO descend in the field. George went out to investigate, taking along his .30-06 hunting rifle and two 10-year-old neighborhood boys who were visiting. Yeah, just take your local neighbor boys out to go investigate UFOs. What kind of Hardy Boys bullshit is this? As the three drove towards the UFO in George's truck, they could see it descending towards one of the outlying fields. When the object was no more than 100 feet off the ground, the headlights of George's truck flickered on and off, seeming to lose power, though the engine did not fully turn off. As George drove closer, he briefly lost sight of the UFO, but was able to quickly locate it in a field some 750 feet away from the farmhouse, where the UFO, now glowing a brilliant white, was clearly visible. 
As the three approached, they could see that it was either resting on the ground or hovering just above it. In the distance, they could hear George's German Shepherd become, quote-unquote, disturbed. According to George, the UFO was roughly 100 feet in diameter, and it was dome-shaped, just like a big bubble. It was making a sound like a lawnmower. In addition to the loud mechanical noise, he could also hear other sounds, almost like those of a baby crying, coming from the UFO as well. As they approached on foot to within about 250 feet of the UFO, one of the boys yelled out. Walking along a nearby fence were two silhouettes, though George could not see them clearly because he was nearsighted and didn't have his glasses with him. It's important, people. Have your glasses on you for the potential UFO encounters you could have. Always have the proper eyewear. George wasted no time in shouldering his rifle and firing a warning shot over the heads of the figures. He had loaded in a tracer round, and as the slug shot over the heads of the creatures, George could see, for the first time, that what he had assumed were bears was in fact something much stranger. Both creatures were much taller than the six-foot-tall fence posts, with one being estimated to be more than eight feet tall and the other around seven feet tall. Both creatures were humanoid, covered in long, dark gray hair with greenish-yellow eyes that produced a distinct eyeshine. Their arms were unnaturally long and nearly reached to the ground. The larger of the two creatures was moving naturally, though taking very long strides. The smaller of the two was taking unnaturally long strides, struggling to keep up with the larger creature as they followed the fence line. Neither of the beings responded to the tracer shot flying over their heads. The larger creature appeared to be using the fence as guidance, placing its left hand on it as it walked, followed closely by the smaller creature. As they moved along the fence, George could hear that the whining sounds were coming from the creatures, not the UFO and he got the impression that they were communicating back and forth. George also noticed that the creatures had a strange odor, like that of burning rubber. The path of the fence was bringing the creatures closer to the group. A clearly frightened George fired a second warning shot, also a tracer over the heads of the creatures. Just like the first shot, they did not respond and kept moving closer. When the creatures had come to within 75 feet, George switched to regular ammunition and fired three shots at the eight-foot-tall creature to no effect, though he believed he had hit the creature. Thinking back on it later, George recalled that he had missed with his first shot, but was certain that he had hit with the second and third. He remembered the sound of the bullets striking the creature as being unnatural, like a stone dropped in water. This caused one of the neighbor boys to flee in terror back to the farmhouse, though George and the remaining neighbor boy stayed in the field. Dear God, who wouldn't be running at this point? You see a couple Bigfoot, they're walking towards some UFO. I, why would you be sticking around? I'd be at that frickin' field in two seconds. Yeah, I'm a coward, I'll admit it. While George watched... The creature that had just been shot raised its right hand up towards the smaller creature, bringing it almost, but not quite in contact with the smaller creature's head. The larger creature then started to emit a steady whining sound, and the UFO in the field instantly disappeared from view. 
As soon as the UFO had vanished, the whining noise abruptly stopped. The creatures then turned and slowly walked back along the fence in the general direction of the UFO and the nearby woods. As George's eyes adjusted to the decrease in light, he noticed the residual white light in the field where the UFO had landed. George described it as emitting light at such an intensity that he could have read a newspaper by it. Both George and the remaining neighbor boys started to experience irritation in the eyes once the craft disappeared. They then ran back to the farmhouse. You stuck around too long, boys. Though initially reluctant, George called the police to report the incident, who promptly sent out a trooper to investigate. While waiting, most of the family went to a neighbor's house. God damn right you did. At around 9.45 p.m., a trooper with the Pennsylvania State Police arrived at the farm. With George, he ventured out to the field where the UFO and the creatures had been seen. The two drove to the landing site, approximately 100 yards away, then exited the patrol car to get closer on foot. As they approached the spot where George and the neighbor boys had seen the UFO, the trooper observed the illuminated ring in the field, though it had become significantly more dim. As they approached further, they heard the sounds of something large moving through the woods, and it appeared to be following them. When they moved, the sound moved with them, breaking tree branches and trampling undergrowth, though they could not see anything unusual in the woods. Looking about, they noticed another illuminated area a hundred yards away from them, separate from the spot where George and the neighbor boys had seen the UFO earlier, but with the same white light as the other ring only slightly more intense. They estimated this circle to be 150 feet in diameter, and George knew that it corresponded to no possible light source from the farm. As they entered the first illuminated circle, the trooper noticed that the air seemed warmer inside than outside of the illuminated grass, but thought that it could be due to his excitement. He also noticed that the dogs around the farm were making a lot of noise and were agitated, None of the horses or cattle in the field would go into the illuminated area itself, though they could be seen moving around its outer edges. Spooked, the two men retreated back to the car. The trooper stated that he wanted to walk up to the light that they had not yet investigated, and plucked up the courage to do so. George followed. However, once they had gotten to within 200 yards of the light, George told the trooper, quote, I don't get paid for being brave. I'm not going any further. The trooper went a little further, and upon looking back and seeing George in an excited state, tightly gripping his .30-06, decided that George might mistake him for something else. The pair headed back to the patrol car. In the low light, George saw a brown object coming out of the woods, and with the trooper's permission, fired his last bullet in its direction. Like his previous shots, this had no effect. George was noticeably agitated. He was sweating profusely and had gone pale, and his emotional state was also starting to affect the trooper. The trooper turned out the car's headlights to see if it would make the illuminated area disappear. It did not. And as he did so, George shouted that he could see something coming out of the woods. Without a moment's hesitation, the trooper threw the car into gear and turned sharply away, gunning the engine. Before he could process what was happening, he had gone about 50 yards up the dirt road back to the farm. 
He then turned the car around and shined the high beams into the wooded area. Nothing unusual could be seen or heard coming from the woods. The trooper took George back to his farmhouse and told him that he would call Stan Gordon to report the incident, Gordon being the co-director of the Westmoreland County UFO Study Group and a well-known local UFO researcher. How the trooper knew to call Stan Gordon is not known. But during this time, and and even before that, UFO researchers kind of had these informal relationships with police departments in which they would kick their crazy UFO calls to them. So it's kind of suspected that that's probably how he knew Stan Gordon. The trooper reported what had occurred to Gordon at around 10.30 p.m. that evening. This would be the end of the police involvement in the investigation. Gordon contacted as many members of the study group as he could and arranged to have them investigate the farm. At 12.45 a.m., George met Gordon and several members of the study group at a local mall. The study group members present were David Smith, a local physics teacher, and quote, radiation expert in civil defense. Dennis Smeltzer, who majored in sociology, George Lutz Jr., a retired Air Force officer and co-director of the study group, as well as David Baker, a photographer and ambulance attendant, and Stan Gordon, co-director of the study group and MUFON state director for Pennsylvania. After hearing George recount the story, they checked him for radiation, but found nothing unusual. They then traveled together to George's farm, arriving around 1.30 a.m., and they proceeded directly to the field where the UFO and the strange creatures had been sighted. Once again, George ventured out to the field with the study group. They were accompanied by George's father and his German shepherd, though they would stay with their truck as the study group investigated the field. The glowing areas sighted by George and the trooper were no longer present and the study group detected no unusual radiation in the area. They searched the field for several minutes until both George and his father called out simultaneously to the study group. They had seen the entire farmhouse, which was only 750 feet away, light up in a glow. By the time the study group arrived back at the truck, the light was gone. George's father and Lutz went to investigate the house, but found nothing out of the ordinary. Just as they returned to the field, all hell broke loose. A bull on the far side of the field started making noise. George's dog started barking and growling, staring at something in the woods at the far end of the field. George began rubbing his head and face as he shook back and forth. All present were concerned that he was going to pass out, until suddenly the 6 foot 2 inch, 250 pound man began growling like an animal. Throwing his arms around, he knocked his father and Lutz to the ground when they tried to restrain him. One of the dogs then moved, as if to attack George, but when it did, George lunged at the dog instead, and it ran away squealing from the crazed man. As his father and Lutz tried to get George under control, things deteriorated further. Dennis Smeltzer called out to the group that he felt lightheaded, and he quickly turned pale, dropping to his knees. Dave Baker and Dave Smith went to help Dennis, and as they did, Baker began to have trouble breathing. Meanwhile, George was still running around, waving his arms and loudly growling, 
until, as if a switch was flipped, he collapsed face first into a heavy manured area. It's like Back to the Future and we're drifting into a manure truck. You know, this is what we're doing here. This seemed to knock George out of whatever state he was in, and he began muttering, quote, Get away from me. It's here. Get back. As this occurred, all present smelled a strong, sulfurous, chemical odor with no obvious source. All of them had had enough. Let's call the group to leave. As they were moving back toward the vehicles, George suddenly cried out, Keep away from the corner! It's in the corner! Then mumbled about how he would protect the group. He claimed to see a man in a black coat and hat carrying a sickle, but no one else could see what he was describing. George then turned to his father and said, If man doesn't straighten up, the end will come soon. There is a man here now who can save the world. George could hear his own name being called from inside the woods, beckoning him to go, and at that he collapsed completely, knocking his glasses off his face. After a short time, he stood back up, and as his father handed his glasses back to him, George asked whose they were. When Stan Gordon asked George if he could see okay without the glasses, George responded, quote, just fine. The group was able to get him moving again, but he appeared to be even more confused than before. George's father insisted that his son had never acted like this before, and with this, the group piled into the vehicles and left the field. George would be interviewed many times in the years after the encounter, and during these interviews, he would often slip back into the same mental state he was in while exiting the field, talking often about having visions of the end of the world. When asked later about his experience and why he had it, he said, quote, I don't know what happened in the field, or what these guys told you, but I felt like an animal. If you could find the one who would believe me, 1976 is not far off. I don't believe America is going to live to be 200 years free, because that's been getting to me too. And the world will go. Man will destroy himself. If you've seen Invasion on Chestnut Ridge uh, from Seth Breedlove and his Small Town Monsters Company, this story features prominently. Uh, it's one of the strangest and weirdest stories because it brings together essentially three different type of phenomena. You have the UFOs, the Bigfoot, and now you have possession happening. Is it simply that we're talking about three phenomena that share equal ground, or is it just one type of phenomena leads the other to any particular type of area? And like I said at the beginning, there are areas all over the United States and all over the world where this stuff comes together. The Bridgewater Triangle, I, I'll i be doing a series on it eventually. Maybe for October, we'll push off the uh, Mothman stuff until November. You know, it seems kind of more fitting since it started in November anyway. But uh, the Bridgewater Triangle, it's just so strange because you, you have... Native American spirits being seen and, and just, you know, ghostly activity like crazy. You have the Puckwudgies, which is, I would call them, like, not the skinwalkers of the East, but, like, 
they are distinct. They're very unique. They stand out. So you have that. You have UFOs being seen. There's one story about a guy who, as a teenager, was just going home late at night. I don't know if he was riding his bike or if he was walking his bike. I can't remember all the details. But he came to, like, the end of this one street, and he started hearing these sounds. And it turned out to be uh, this young, adolescent-looking Bigfoot, and it just walked out and started to talk to him. It was so very unique. But what is it about these areas? What is it about the Ohio Valley region in Point Pleasant, West Virginia in 1966 and 67 that makes all of this stuff attractive to the area and to interact with people? I'm not too sure, but we keep we keep documenting it, and you know what? We're going to keep talking about it on this show, so you have that to look forward to in the future. This episode was written and researched by Rory Roloff, and it was edited by me. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies. In Grey We Trust... Yeah.